Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to them and their cultures and to elders both past, present and emerging. Everybody looking at their podcast app right now is like, no, I can't believe it. I've been hurt before. (laughs) I've been lied to by these wenches. Yeah. Um, But we didn't community channel you. We we came back. I wish we were as popular as community channel. Oh, gosh. Yes. Agreed. Although I hate lamingtons. Huh? I hate lamingtons. You're clearly a fake community channel fan. Let's move on. Welcome to Murder on the Land of Oz. I've never done this part before. (laughs) I'm Jess. I'm Ellen. Hooray! And we're back for an episode before the next hiatus. Before we go away for months and months and months. Sorry. How are we? Huh? That's so great. I was doing, remember we used to do like the Blues Clues? Yeah, yeah. No, I'd forgotten. I erased it from my memory. Yeah, it's been three years. The hair has changed several times in between then and now. So Yeah, yeah, I have a bob now. She does. I have lots of regrowth. Jess has changed her hair probably 17 times yeah, since I'd we say. started Murder on the Land of Oz, and I, I got one bob once, <laughs> which I think is very uh, encapsulating of <laughs> our vibes. <laughs> Um, thank you all so much for your lovely messages about our recent uploads um, on Instagram. We also got some uh, five-star reviews on um, the iTunes podcast app, so that's great. Keep them coming. Thank you. Thank you. Remember, they make us not depressed. we need validation, please. Mm. Um, um, I wanted to shout out Shannon, who I went to primary school with, who like, oh hit God. us up on the Instagram. Shannon. <laughs> and she was like, she was like, Oh, you know, I went to school with Ellen and I don't know if she would remember me. And I was like, first and foremost, 10 people went to our primary school. So I would have to actively try to not remember anybody that I went to school with. I am sure I could list off the people in our class in alphabetical order. And also, secondly, Shannon was awesome and she taught me the um, Auslan alphabet and I've never forgotten it to this day. There you go, Shannon. Changing lives. Changing Changing lives. Changing lives. Um, Zane just sent us a message. Yes, he did. <laughs> Patreon chat, great shout anxiety. out. Whoa, holy shit, there's so many of them. Um, so we need to thank uh, Jess E. I wonder, is it, if she was being clever, like Jess E as in, no, just Jess space E. Um, <laughs> Alex, comma, Alicia, space W. 
uh, Millie. Don't read him like this. Don't read them like this. <laughs> uh, Millie, Casey, Erin, Shauna, Kirsty, and Colleen. Thank you for supporting us Thank on you, Patreon. Patrons. I thought Zane was going to be messaging me being like, we're not at home. You need to sit better. And you. <laughs> but no, it was just lovely patrons with interesting names. Yes, so many. Um, thank you all so much. We'll put the links to the Patreon in the, uh, I was about to say in the account, no, in the show <laughs> notes. We're very out of practice with this. I I've had, had like little to no sleep, you know. I literally, I had two hours sleep last night because it was, we got like 100 millimetres of rain last night and I thought my literal house was going to blow down. So I, I have slept for about eight minutes. Um, we got chickens last night and I was worried that the chickens were going to be uncomfortable in the rain. So I got up like once every half hour to go and check on the chickens. And let me tell you, like kneeling on the ground in like a hurricane level weather, like with my torch on my phone being like, are my chickens alive? Was one of the like, it wasn't rock bottom, but it wasn't what I expected me this to isn't ever where do we thought life. our lives were going. And yet no, but here we are. My chickens are also fine. Um, do you want to talk about a crime? <laughs> Should we talk about a crime? Should we talk about crime? Yes. We should. And it's Ellen's turn. It's my turn to talk about a crime. I, so as usual, when I started um, writing this episode, it began in a very different place. I wanted to do, because this was supposed to be a mini-sode, and it's not, so I hope you have a long commute, um, Commute. or like a lot of laundry to fold. Um, But I wanted to do like a little mini-sode like we did for our missing persons um, episode. Um, that didn't happen because I found out about this case and I was like, cool, I'm just going to just write entirely about this one. And it's quite traumatizing. So yay. <laughs> we love I that. Just, I know we have like trigger warnings and stuff for every episode. Obviously this is a crime podcast and it talks about crime, but like this is quite a uh, violent, um, and talks about sexual assault, um, and quite violent sexual assault. And it's a pretty like, you know, a bit of a sunk cost fallacy. If I kind of realized some of the more graphic elements of this case, I probably would have chosen to do something different. Um, but I still think it's an extremely important story to tell. But I would definitely advise people to not listen if they don't feel up to listening. You have our permission. You have our permission. It's totally fine. Um, you can just go listen to one of our back episodes if you like. <laughs> just go re-listen to one of your favorites. So this is the, huh? What I said? Why not? Why not? Um, this is the murder of Lynette Daly. This is unfortunately the case of another Indigenous person who has been treated extremely poorly by the criminal justice system and also our society in general. Um, so Lynette Daly grew up in the Clarence Valley area of northern New South Wales in the town of McLean, and I did not have to do any like set up research to talk about that town because I used to live there when I was a kid. I went to school there. Um, I actually lived in a town much smaller than McLean that was nearby. Um, but I went to school in McLean and I kind of spent a lot of my childhood in like this Clarence Valley area. And it has very much developed me into the cottage core bitch that I am today. Like it's such a beautiful area. It's a beautiful coastal, like bush area, very laid back, country living, small town vibes. Everybody knows everybody. There's like one shop and one pub and then like a whole bunch of houses that are falling down in every neighborhood. Um, and for me, like growing up in this, well, the period of time that I lived in this area, like it was so idyllic and 
formative and just like beautiful and magical like the eyes of a child everything is wonderful nothing bad can ever happen here and then kind of reading about this murder I was like you know what not that idyllic actually um but you know it 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 was it seems like it was also a pretty idyllic place for Lynette Daly when she was growing up so you know her family as I said small town everybody kind of knew everybody like her family was well known throughout the area um she was one of five children and her mother Thelma split from Lynette's dad and married a man named Gordon Davis who basically just took on Lynette and all of Thelma's children like they were his own uh Lynette uh, often went by the nickname Norma I'm gonna use Lynette because I feel uncomfortable using people's nicknames when I don't know them so I'm just gonna call it Lynette how very polite of you was the case is known by her proper name so I thought it was more like accurate to call it that but also once I can't remember what episode we it was but I know that I used the the victim's nickname throughout it and it felt so overly familiar and I felt uncomfortable with it so I'm not gonna make that mistake again so Lynette she was she was a she was a tomboy she loved sports and animals um she was super competitive and her mother Thelma reckoned that she was good enough to be in the Olympics one day she really loved you know sport and running and she was outdoorsy and she was really tough so her um there was one story that I read about her to like describe what a tough person she was that she was out one day like picking lemons from a lemon tree right and she got attacked by two dogs and she was like a kid and she had to go to the hospital and like get stitches and it was like this big whole thing but like literally the next day she just went back out and was like I'm just gonna pick lemons for my lemon tree again like most children if they got like attacked by a dog in an area like would be traumatized (laughs) and then as an adult they would be like "Mm, I hate dogs I don't know why but she was literally just like stitch me up I'm going back out there like you cannot I gotta get lemons I'm really busy I need lemons like I need lemons um but you know she yeah she was tough and spunky and you know had a lot of attitude but you know her her strength was also kind of you know a weakness I guess you know as she got into her teenage years uh she came a little bit hard for her parents to handle and started falling in with the wrong crowd she started using alcohol and drugs and fell into a series of abusive relationships she had her first child at age 16 and she'd go on to have six more children all with men who hit her and controlled her and abused her. And her mother and her stepfather did basically anything that they could to try and help their beloved daughter. They took in all of Lynette's children when it became um, apparent that she was not able to care for them. And, you know, Lynette absolutely loved her children and she visited them all the time. And, you know, she had a good relationship with them. But she also knew because of, you know, her substance abuse problems and stuff like that, that she was not capable of caring for them. So, you know, it was a... It was a a positive situation that, like, her children were getting cared for and she was able to still maintain a relationship with them and a relationship with her parents. But, you know, as I said, Lynette was tough and stubborn and despite everything that her parents tried, they just couldn't pull her back in line. And, you know, Lynette went to the police quite a few times um, from, you know, domestic violence situations and abusive partners, but they never really seemed to intervene or do anything long term to help her. So in the weeks preceding her death, Lynette was experiencing homelessness. She lived in a tent behind Hillcrest Aboriginal Mission in the outskirts of McLean. And, you know, she spent she spent some of her days drinking in the park with two local lowlifes, uh, Adrian Atwater, who was 37, and Paul Maris, who was 30, uh, 41. And Lynette was 31 at this time. I don't think I mentioned that. Um, both men also, were... Also, when was this? This is in uh, 2011. Right. Okay. So not long ago. I, no, not long ago at all. 
Um, so both men were unemployed, uh, alcoholics, drug users with criminal histories of assault. So definitely the kind of people you want to spend your day around. Um, Adrian Atwater called himself Lynette's boyfriend, and he's often like in the press and everything referred to as her boyfriend or her partner, but her parents didn't really believe that that was the case. Like, you know, not in the sense that, you know, he was an actual partner to her. You know what I mean? Like he Mm. wasn't, they didn't really believe that he was her boyfriend, maybe just a person that, you know, she had spent some time with, but not her boyfriend. Um, so uh, Lynette spent a couple of days at her mother's and mother and stepfather's house visiting her kids and, quote, drying out for a while when she received a call from one of these men. And she told her parents that she was going off on a fishing trip. She told her mum that she loved her, said goodbye to her kids and went out the door. Shortly afterwards, on the 25th of January, Lynette stopped in to see her sister Tina and Paul and Adrian were in the car. Um, And Tina said, you know, when Lynette came to the door that she was distressed and not herself, and the men were swearing at her and screaming abuse from the car. The visit was short and Tina didn't press Lynette on what was wrong because Lynette told her, had told her that she would come back to see her the next day. And then she was off in the car again. So the three people stopped off at several places um, along the way to their camping destination. Uh, They went to a fish and chip shop for lunch where Paul Maris was caught on CCTV And they spent the day, you know, they stopped at like parks and, you know, uh, campsites and stuff like that. They stopped at these various places and they were drinking heavily throughout the day, um, despite the fact that they were driving. Um, At one point in the town of Iluka, they stopped off at the local IGA and witnesses said that Lynette Daly seemed to be highly intoxicated and didn't seem to know where she was. She had bits of grass and dirt in her hair. And when they were inside the IGA... So the three of them were inside the IGA and a, a witness said that um, one of the men, so they had purchased like a, like a Frankfurt sausage, right, from the deli counter. And at one point, one of the men like shoved it down the back of Lynette's pants and like started simulating a sexual act on her using this sausage that they had. But I know, like Jess's face just then was like, come again. Um but yeah, so the witness kept an eye on the trio while they were in the store and they she kept on watching them as they walked out of the store because she said, all of these people are drunk, like I hope they're not driving. So she kept an eye on them. Um, and then when they were at the car, the witness saw one of the men again. Uh, Lynette was leaning into the boot to put the groceries in the esky and the man stood behind her and again simulated a sex act. And when the man looked over and saw the witness watching, he pulled Lynette's pants down to the ground and yelled to the witness, do you want a piece of this bitch? So that's kind of just what we're dealing with there on that front. And then, you know, the witness saw them just get in the car and drive off. And they were headed for their campsite at 10 Mile Beach, which is just north of Iluka, the town of Iluka. And it's like a pretty remote, you know, four-wheel drive access beach kind of thing. It's not like a super heavily populated beach. And this is also an Australia Day weekend. So there are a lot of people like... Lots of people saw them and like there were quite a few more people probably at the beach than there would be otherwise because, you know, long weekend, public holiday, etc. So when they got to 10 Mile Beach, they parked Paul Maris's four-wheel drive in the dunes. They weren't really actually camping. Um, Paul Maris, the, the car was like a big land cruiser and he had like, it was all like kitted out and he had like a mattress in the back and everything. And so they were all just basically going to stay in the car. Um, he had some fishing gear, but it didn't seem like they were actually planning on fishing or anything like that. The plan was basically just to drink for the entire rest of the day. So they drank through the afternoon and the night, listening to music on the car stereo and just generally cavorting about like drunk people. 
to any witness or passerby, it would have seemed like a pretty standard Australia Day situation. So the next morning on the 27th of January at 6.01am, a phone call was placed to 000 by Paul Maris from 10 Mile Beach. He asked for an ambulance and said that, quote, the person wasn't breathing, that they'd been performing mouth-to-mouth for over five minutes and she was not responsive. When the operator asked what had happened, Paul Mara said, quote, well, we've all been drinking, but she's, yeah, she's just stopped breathing. In the background, Adrian Atwater can be heard, heard yelling out, she was blind, she was off her fucking face last night. So, you know, the situation from the operator's point of view, these two men have called and they have, there is a woman there that is alive but unresponsive. So, as I said, 10 Mile Beach is pretty isolated. Ambulance would take over 40 minutes to get there so the ambulance operator stayed on the line and told them you know to do compressions and cpr and stuff like that so at one point a fair way into the triple zero call paul asked the operator how far away the ambulance was and the operator was like oh I'll just check for you and puts them on hold basically um and thinking that you know they can't be heard now that they're placed on hold on hold adrian you can hear adrian at water say in the call come on wake up babe where are you hey you fucking bitch What a good fucking Australia Day. Fuck's sake. Fucking hell, you bloody bitch. Again, saying that to an unresponsive woman dying on the beach. So while they were still waiting on the ambulance, Paul Maris um, went to get help from a man who was fishing about a kilometre up from their camp. He drove over on his four-wheel drive and demanded for Nick to get in the car, this um, witness. As they drove down the beach, Nick asked him what had happened and Paul responded saying that they needed help resuscitating their friend who had drowned in the surf. When Nick Miller arrived on the scene, he could immediately tell that something was sus. He could see a naked woman lying on the beach not far from the surf with her lips blue. There were drag marks leading from the water's edge to Lynette's feet. He could see blood around Lynette's vagina and on her pubic hair, and there was a bite mark on her breast. There was also a massive blood clot on the sand by her feet. Uh, Nick also noticed a few metres up uh, up the beach from the body the remains of a small fire that had clothing fragments in it that was partially covered with sand. So at Paul Maris's request, Nick Miller also attempted CPR on Lynette, but to him he was like, why are we doing this? It was evident to him that Lynette was dead, she was cold to the touch and had no pulse, and to Nick it seemed like she had been dead for quite a while. The men were still on the line to triple zero and, you know, as I said, the, the operator said to continue compressions until the ambulance arrived. So Nick did, did what he was told. And in the course of this, you know, resuscitation, I'm assu- I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming, you know, one of them was doing compressions. One of them was, you know, attempting CPR. One of them was on the phone. You know, there was this action kind of going on for a while. And during the course of this, uh, Nick overheard the men having a conversation and one of them said something along the lines of, Um, They were talking about sex and sex positions, and he said something along the lines of, I didn't know doing such and such could kill you. So as Nick's there doing the compressions, he formed the opinion that they had performed a sexual act on the woman that had killed her. At one point, uh, Paul Maris noted another four-wheel drive coming down the beach and drove off to try and flag it down to get some extra assistance. And while he did so, Nick Miller took the opportunity to talk to the ambulance operator away from Adrian. And he said to the operator, yeah, can you send the police as well? This looks dodgy, really dodgy. When the operator asked why Nick thought it was dodgy, he said, yeah, it looks like rape and something else. I don't know. There's blood coming out of her vagina and she's got fluid in her lungs and I think she's dead already. So um, when Paul Maris returned to the scene with the other four-wheel drive uh, following behind, Nick Miller noted that he parked his car directly over the pile of burnt clothing half buried in the sand. 
So eventually the paramedics and the ambulance would arrive at 6.57 a.m. Um, and to them also the scene was immediately suspicious. Um, paramedic Aradam Jarrett said initially the volume of blood at the scene uh, made him think that the woman had had a miscarriage. But when he asked Adrian Outwater what happened to her, Adrian said that he'd had, quote, a wild sex session with the woman the night before. Adam Jarrett said that uh, Adrian made a gesture, miming, inserting his fist into her vagina. Then Adrian said, quote, I noticed the blood and the smell was terrible. So we were going into the ocean to wash and she fell on my arms in the way there on the way to the ocean. Uh, Paul Mara said it told the paramedics a similar story that Adrian and Lynette had, quote, a wild sex session the night before and that, quote, there was blood everywhere on the mattress. The paramedics pronounced Lynette dead almost immediately after arriving on the scene. Like, literally, the, the report said within 30 seconds. It was evident that she was dead and she'd been dead for a while. The police did arrive and when they questioned the men on what happened, the exact same explanation was given, quote, we ended up having wild sex last night. In the morning, everything was good. Um, the police were just as suspicious, suspicious of the scene um, as the witnesses and the paramedics. Adrian Atwater had blood on his jeans. There was blood on the side of the esky in the back of the car, dripping from the top of the esky to the bottom and pooling at the base. There was smeared blood on the other end of the esky that seemed to imply some sort of a clean-up attempt. There was blood on a small platform above the esky and blood on the front passenger seat and the roof. Um, the police quickly noted the uh, burned patch underneath Paul Maris's car and found pat- found um, scraps of burned cloth-, cloth and clothing, including underwear that was stained with blood and fragments of the bloodstained mattress. So Adrian and Paul were taken in for questioning by the police the very same day. I mean, you do not have to be fucking, who's a good cop? Olivia Benson to work out what <laughs> was going on here. So at 9.55am, Adrian Atwater was questioned. Um, and again, I'm. this is a a vulgar quote, and I apologize. Viewer discretion advised. So the police officer asked Adrian, so you said you had sex, and if I'm wrong, please tell me, but was it penis-vagina sex? And Adrian Atwater responded, quote, it was my fucking hand. Your hand was it? The officer responded. How did you do that? Adrian replied, you put the fucking hand in the fucking vagina. The officer said, if I was to say that there was a sex act called fisting, is that what you've done? And Adrian responded, just about, the, just about, yeah. These things happen, man, as I said. Girls can be no. girls. Girls can be girls. Boys will be boys. Fuck off. Fuck, no. What, don't know what that means. What does that mean? What does that mean, girls? Can- what does that mean? What do you mean by that, sir? Um, so. Uh, Actually, that's a good t-shirt. That's, what do you mean, I, sir? I do not want a t-shirt of this, please. I do no, just of what do you mean, sir? What do you mean, sir? Um, so five weeks later, uh, the both men were taken to the crime scene for like a reconstruction slash walkthrough of the crime sort of thing. Um, Paul Mara said that he'd witnessed Adrian Atwater. I have to, I'm really sorry, but I have to establish the fact that fisting was indeed what happened because it's crucial to the case later on. Okay. So I'm so sorry for saying the word fisting a thousand times. But okay. so... Um, Paul Mara said that he witnessed Adrian Atwater fist Lynette Daly and mimed the act. So the police officer was like, okay, can you demonstrate what you mean by that? And he again mimed the insertion of a fist into a vagina. Um, Both in their initial interviews and this later interview at the beach, the men said that Lynette was a willing participant in the act, that she seemed to be enjoying herself. One of them said that she was moaning at one point. 
um, that she never said she was in pain and that she was conscious after the sex act ceased. Adrian said that it only stopped when he realized that he had blood on his hand. He said that there was, quote, a little bit of blood on the mattress afterwards, but Paul Maris said that um, there was blood everywhere all over the mattress. And he said that afterwards she jumped up off the mattress and sat on the esky explaining the bloodstains there. Um, but there was no yeah, way sure. that there was no way that Lynette could have consented and basically no way that she could have jumped up onto anything after this happened to her. So the toxicology report performed during the autopsy showed that Lynette's blood alcohol was between 0.303 and 0.350. So the legal limit is 0.05. So she, she was at a fatal level of intoxication, even for somebody who had been an alcoholic and had developed a tolerance. Like he wouldn't be conscious. She, if she wasn't unconscious, she would have been barely conscious. Like she would, she maybe would have had some functioning or ability to speak maybe, but she would not be properly conscious in the way that she would be able to, you know, express verbally, you know, maybe she could have said, you know, she wouldn't have been able to say, yeah, let's go. You know what I mean? She was not yeah. at that level of consciousness. Um, so it would have been impossible for her to consent. And it's also unlikely that she would have been able to jump up and go and sit on an esky after it happened to her. Rather, Lynette lay unconscious on the mattress in the back of Paul's four-wheel drive and bled to death while the men kept on drinking outside. The autopsy uncovered a truly horrific array of injuries to Lynette's genitalia. Um, In particular, a 45-millimeter long laceration spanning from the clitoris down the anterior wall of the vagina a 120 millimeter long laceration that began at the cervix and ran down the left wall of the vagina. She had bruising on both walls of her vagina and there was evidence of clotting on both lacerations, which demonstrates that she was still alive when the wounds were inflicted. There were scratches all over her legs and bruises on her arms and on her chest and stomach. The cause of death was blunt force genital tract trauma. So when he was re-interviewed, Adrian Atwater claimed that rather than fisting her, he actually only used four fingers on Lynette and did not insert them forcefully. He denied, he explicitly denied fisting her and said that the sexual act between them was, quote, wasn't anything unusual. But based on the autopsy, it's basically impossible that anything Medicine other, doesn't lie. Medicine doesn't lie. Like, you know, there there is basically no way that anything not forceful could oh, have caused the injuries woman. to Lynette. That is Truly, literally one of the most horrific things I've ever heard. The most horrific thing I've ever heard of in my life. Like, just the most degrading, violent, horrific manner that anybody could possibly die and truly makes me sick to my stomach i can't believe i have to share the planet with those two men um so by all accounts the police investigation was very thorough the evidence against paul and adrian was colossal you know they were the only two people at the scene adrian's clothing was covered in lynette's blood and there was more traces of her blood all over paul's car they had attempted to clean the scene and burn evidence, including Lynette's clothing and a bloodstained mattress, and they attempted this cover-up 15 minutes before they even bothered to call an ambulance for Lynette. They then performed essentially a charade of CPR on a clearly long-dead woman. Adrian Atwater admitted multiple times when he was first in, uh, interviewed to putting his fist inside Lynette, which was corroborated by Paul Maris. And the fatal injuries that Lynette sustained could only be caused by the repeated insertion of a fist into the vagina. So in April of 2011, Paul Maris and Adrian Atwater were arrested for the manslaughter of Lynette Daly. 
So Lynette's devastated and traumatized family had to suffer in the knowledge that their beloved daughter, that they had tried so hard so many times to rescue from the violent men in her life, died in such a violent and degrading manner. Her stepfather, Gordon Davis, called them, quote, no better than a pack of mongrels, a sentiment I think we can all get behind. But despite this arrest, justice wouldn't come for Lynette Daly for quite some time. Um, so it, months after the arrest, I can't, I didn't actually write the date, which was stupid, but I think it was in October or something after the arrest, um, the New South Wales Department of Public Prosecutions called a meeting with Lynette's parents and told them that they were withdrawing the charges against Adrian and Paul, citing lack of evidence. Fuck off can't fathom how much more evidence do you require what could possibly sorry do you want her to come back to life and be like i know anyway so uh greg whedon who is a new south wales police officer at the time and a friend of lynette's family went into the meeting with them as a representative and he said that the reason that the dpp gave was that they couldn't prove anything that adrian or paul did to lynette had been done with the intent to kill her which is like what manslaughter is for you know like the whole you don't need intent for manslaughter you that's don't the need whole, intent that's, that's the whole point, point. Or otherwise they'd be charging them for murder exactly so oh. why the the, the i'm a dumb pros- person and i know that i'm a dumb person you're the department of public fucking prosecutions that's like grade 10 legal studies come on mr hutchinson would be so proud of us <laughs> so proud <laughs> So uh, Paul and Adrian were allowed basically to walk free. And Lynette's stepfather said the attitude of the police was like, well, the Department of Public Prosecution, sorry, was like, it was just another Indigenous girl. We'll sleep, sweep it under the carpet. They're a dime a dozen. It happens all the time. We'll let it go. But Lynette's family didn't give up. Uh, they kept on pushing and pushing the DPP to take action. And in 2014, the case was referred to the coroner and an inquest began. I'm so sorry. This happened in 2011. Yep. And in 2014. Fuck off. I know. So at during the cor- coronial inquest, um, Adrian stuck to his revised story that he had only inserted four fingers into Lynette. And he moves them in a, quote, fishtail motion. I have no oh. idea what this is supposed to mean. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, Paul Maris now denied that he could see exactly what Adrian was doing to Lynette in the back of the four-wheel drive. Um, there was quite a few differences, uh, in the testimony of the men, especially, um, about what happened immediately after, um, the sex act occurred. So Adrian said that afterwards the trio went down to the beach and went for a swim, that Lynette sat in the front of the four-wheel drive for a time and that they were all drinking and listening to music on the beach. Paul agreed that they went for a swim to wash the blood off Lynette, but afterwards she went back to the car to sleep. When asked how much blood was on the mattress, Adrian made like a gesture to demonstrate an area of about 10 centimetres across, whereas Paul Maris said that blood was, quote, everywhere. Uh, During the inquest, a laundry list of medical experts testified that the injuries to Lynette couldn't have been caused by the, quote, fishtail motion that Adrian Atwater described. Quote, the injuries... not how the the vagina works. Not how the vagina works. Uh, The injuries to the vagina would have been caused by vigorous hand or finger movements in the vagina, causing splits or tears to the lining of the vagina. I do not believe that the act of merely inserting fingers and moving them in the manner described could have caused these tears. Making a fist is quite different from inserting fingers. So the coroner made a series of findings, um, some of which I'm going to summarize for you now. Uh, Firstly, the coroner rejected Adrian Atwater's retraction of his initial statement that he inserted his fist into Lynette's vagina. He was like, you did not fishtail motion. That is not what happened. Um, he also rejected the claim that the sex act was performed, that he rejected Adrian Atwater's claim that the sex act that was performed was not anything unusual. 
Um, he accepted Paul Maris's demonstration of a, quote, vigorous punching motion as to the explanation for Lynette's injuries. He stated that Lynette did not, quote, have the capacity to meaningfully consent to the sexual acts that caused the injuring that led to her death. And Mr. Atwater was not entitled to interpret her lack of resisting as consent. He concluded that... Because she didn't say no. I'm so mad. I missed the microphone. I'm so mad. (laughs) I know. It's not this... Yeah. Keep going. It's horrible, but keep going. Um... The coroner concluded that due to the extent and severity of her injuries, that it was likely that Lynette was in pain and would have communicated that pain to the people that were inflicting it in some manner. He concluded, quote, that both men are dishonestly denying any such complaint was made because they fear it reflects adversely on them. He rejected Adrian's claim that after the act was over, Lynette carried on like she had before, unaffected, basically. And he accepted that Paul Maris's versions of events was the closest to the truth in that she remained unconscious in the back of the vehicle for a period of time. Uh, in the time immediately uh, after her death, she would have been, quote, severely incapacitated. Uh, not after her death, after the sex act. She would have been severely incapacitated and that Atwater and Maris should have known that something was seriously wrong and should have gotten her aid. Uh, he also found that Atwater and Maris conspired to burn the evidence because otherwise it would incriminate them. And I'm just going to quote the straight up quote now, the end of the coroner's findings. So, quote, Lynette did not lead an inspirational life of great achievement, but nor did she do harm to others. Indeed, it seems she was far more frequently the victim of mistreatment at the hands of those she should have been protected by. She was dearly loved by her family and she returned that affection. I know she is sadly missed by her children, her siblings, her parents, and her extended family. I offer them all my sincere condolences. The court expresses its contempt and disgust for the callous disregard for her, for her welfare shown by her supposed friends, Mrs. Atwater and Maris. As a result of considering all of the documentary evidence and the oral evidence given at the inquest, I am able to confirm that the death occurred and make the following findings in relation to it. Lynette died from blood loss and hypovolemic shock due to blunt force genital tract trauma. Severe alcohol intoxication exacerbated the impact of blood loss. The fatal injuries were accidentally inflicted during sexual activity undertaken at a time when it is likely Lynette was too intoxicated to be able to meaningfully consent to such activity. The person responsible for the injury failed to respond to it by seeking medical attention for for Lynette, even though she was... Even though she was, because of her circumstances and condition, incapable of obtaining that for herself. So the coroner recommended that Paul and Adrian be prosecuted. But again, in 2015, the Department of Public Prosecutions declined to continue with the case. I'm so sorry. What? Again, claiming that there was not enough evidence to establish that Adrian Atwater committed an unlawful act that led to Lynette's death. What more do you want? What What more more do you need? need? Oh, for fuck's sake, the quote of this entire episode of my entire response to this episode. What the fuck? What do you want? Uh, um, So uh, as the Four Corners episode about this case indicated, which I'm going to talk about more in a second, um, there were way more charges that could have been laid against these two other than murder or manslaughter. So the DPP is saying, you know, we can't charge him with manslaughter, but is completely forgetting all of the other crimes that occurred during this situation. Um, You know, so... First and foremost, there was sexual assault, which they could have been charged with, as Lynette's lack of ability to consent was well established by her blood alcohol content. 
uh, content. Manslaughter by omission, as Paul and Adrian failed to get adequate medical care for Lynette when it became apparent that she was injured. And just the, the burning of the evidence... Right? ...is a crime in and like, in of itself. So the decision to just do absolutely nothing about it was another devastating shock, both to her family and the general Could public. Could you imagine if she was white? Oh, don't you worry. We are getting to that. Um... So there was media coverage of this case, but after the DPP declined to press charges again, it amped up. And in 2016, the show Four Corners released an episode entitled Callous Disregard that covered Lynette's case. Four Corners is like a investigative journalism show. I don't know, like, like the equivalent would be something like Dateline or something, I yeah, guess. It's, it's more. It's, it's like not an always up- crime. No, it's like an upmarket Dateline. It's an upmarket Dateline, not that Dateline Because it's is- done by, no, 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 but I'm just saying like it's done by the ABC, which is like, um, for pe- obviously there's a lot of Australians that listen to this, but for people that don't know, um, like the ABC is our national broadcasting. Whoa. Oh, she's on. <laughs> Was that Louise? No, that was my sister-in-law. Hey, Sky. Hi, Sky. She'll listen to this. <laughs> um, like, it's um, it, there's no, like, paid advertisements on the ABC and stuff like that. Yeah. So It's the public broadcaster. So yeah. it's like a well, well, somewhat well-funded, but, like, it's a it's a credible show. It's it, not like yeah, a... Cred- yeah, it's, it's, it's not it's like very a credible. snapped kind of thing. And then she snapped. And then she snapped. Um... So the episode, you know, it was basically the first time a lot of the public had access to any information about this case. And it featured, you know, interviews with her family members, with witnesses and with legal professionals who all expressed the same disbelief that a case with such an abundance of evidence could fail to be brought to trial due to lack of evidence and question why Lynette was treated differently to any other victim. So, um... One person who was quoted in the episode was um, Thalia, An- oh, Thalia Anthony, who uh, is a legal expert from the University of Technology, Sydney. She said, quote, I think the criminal justice system has very much failed Lynette Daly. I think it's also failed women who are potentially victims of this type of assault. And I think it's especially failed Aboriginal women who are very much neglected by the legal system. That sentiment was echoed again by former New South Wales police officer, Greg Whedon, who said, if it was two Aboriginal fellas that killed a white girl, your daughter, where would they be now? Bell refused charge the charge that day. Lynette's stepfather, uh, Greg Whedon. Amen, Greg, Greg Whedon. Greg Whedon, only good cop. Um, <laughs> apart from Olivia Benson, apparently. Olivia Benson, Greg Whedon. Lynette's stepfather said, if it was two Indigenous people who'd done it to a white girl, they'd be in jail. No question. No question. No chat. No nothing. See ya. No nothing. Goodbye. Professor Marsha Langston, who is a expert, a legal expert and advocate for Indigenous issues, said, quote, it is very difficult to come to any other conclusion but that the law is being applied very differently in this case because the victim is a black woman. It's like they just don't give a shit. They just don't give a shit. Like they just don't give a shit. You know, like, you know, the, the, the phrase, like, you know, the, uh, the law is being applied differently. You know, they're saying we can't prove, why can't you prove it? Why isn't there evidence? Why do you need to like, establish any criminal sorry, intent like, for a manslaughter case? The image of Lady Justice, like how she's blindfolded and she's holding, it's like, mm, not in this case. Not in this case. The, the, this case, she was like... Lily, she had the Karen haircut. Yeah. She was oh, like, my God. She's mm, like, can I talk to the manager? Can I talk to the manager of justice? Like, was she even, like, you know, it is so Ugh, wrong. This is just 
feral. So the Four Corners episode brought attention to Lynette's case to every household in Australia and people were like kind of in an uproar that they hadn't really heard of it before. Um, So many of the people who were involved in the Four Corners episode uh, were part of a big driving force to get the New South Wales Attorney General to intervene in the case. There was a petition that gained over 50,000 signatures to reopen the case. There were community groups all over the country, um, but particularly in like the, the northern region of New South Wales who were lobbying for Lynette. Um, and other kind of high-profile victims' families, like the family of Daniel Morecambe, came out in support of the family. So after the um, episode aired, the DPP announced an internal review into the handling of the case to establish whether or not the right decision had been made. Um, And Lynette's parents met with the then New South Wales Attorney General, Gabrielle Upton, to discuss the case. I read an article that was like, wow, we're so glad something is finally happening in Lynette Daly's case, but it should not have taken an episode of Four Corners. Like, it should not have taken an ABC journalist to make sure justice was done. You know what I mean? Like, this is is not how this should have happened. So finally in 2017, six years after her death and after more bureaucratic fucking around than anybody should ever have to endure, the case went to trial. Adrian Atwater was charged with manslaughter and aggravated sexual in uh, intercourse without consent, while Paul Maris was charged with aggravated sexual intercourse, intercourse without consent and accessory after the fact to manslaughter. Of course, both men pleaded not guilty and claimed that Lynette consented to the sex act. But witnesses... Sorry, just, just did a, a shocked face. No, <laughs> keep going. It's horrible. Keep going. Uh, but both witnesses who saw Lynette throughout the day and another big old list of medical experts said the same thing, that Lynette was too drunk to consent to anything. The jury took just 32 minutes to return a guilty verdict. Adrian Atwater received a 19-year sentence with a non-parole period of 15 years, and Paul Maris received received a nine-year sentence with a non-parole period of six years. Lynette's family and supporters cheered from the seats when the sentencing was read out. Um, in her address, Justice Fullerton condemned Adrian and Paul for their treatment of Lynette, saying that they lied to police and acted with no remorse in their own self-interest to hide their involvement in her death. She also used the phrase callous disregard when describing the way they treated Lynette. The New South Wales Director of Public Prosecutions, Lloyd Babb, made an official apology to Lynette Daly's family for the delay in the prosecution of the case. In that way where, like, people say, like, I'm sorry that you're offended, he said, the question of whether or not there are reasonable prospects of conviction is a predictive exercise and one about which reasonable minds can differ. Some of the evidence that informed the earlier decisions not to proceed with the prosecution was different to the evidence that was before the jury. Nonetheless, I sincerely regret my office's involvement in the delay. Today, I publicly apologise to Miss Daly's family and the community for that delay. That's a lot of words to say. Fuck all. Yep. So Lynette's stepfather, Gordon, spoke on behalf of the family after the trial and said, There'll be no closure, but at least court has ended. We know where they are now. We know they won't do it to anyone else. And he went on to say in regards to the DPP's earlier failures, the DPP has a lot to learn about Aboriginality and Aboriginals. You can't just sweep everything under the carpet the way it was dealt with. If it was two Aboriginal boys and they had done it to a non-Indigenous person, they would have been in jail ages ago. And that's the difference. I don't care how much you sugarcoat it. That is the difference. In October of In October of 2020... Adrian and Paul reared their ugly heads again by no. appealing their sentence. No! One of the reasons for the appeal was the speed with which the jury reached a verdict. And the the defense lawyer was basically like, the prosecution, like, uh, 
made the jury like have an overly emotional response to the case and that they didn't consider all the evidence sufficiently. Um, there was also an issue with directions given to the jury from the judge about how to handle the lies that Adrian had told the police, whether or not the lies could be used as like definitive proof of guilt or whether or not they just made him a non-credible witness, if that makes sense. Um, the appeal lawyer also said that the case was mostly circumstantial and that there was still doubt as to Lynette's degree of intoxication, whether no. she was capable of consenting and whether right. or not Adrian Atwater knew she was incapable of consenting. So, I mean, 0.303 is the blood alcohol content there. You, like, you cannot say that a person is not intoxicated. If the legal limit is 0.05 and somebody is 0.303, how can you have any argument about her degree of intoxication? How is that possible? I would be for sure dead if I had a blood alcohol content of 0.303. There is no way that I would survive that. Like... I know that in cases like this, appeals are often just kind of automatic and, like, you have to... The the process of appeals is very important. We're not saying that, you know, that's an important part of the judicial system. But that is, like, to argue, oh, well, maybe she could have consented or maybe she did give consent or maybe she was in a position of being able to give consent. No, she wasn't. No, she wasn't. This is the science. And also, like, the fact that the jury had an emotional response. Yeah, they probably saw a picture of the horrific wounds inflicted on this person's vagina, which, as an organ, is already fucked up, let alone someone being like, well, this person who's very unconscious, I'm just going to shove my hand in a fist up into someone's vagina. Like, that is fucked up. If you don't have an emotional response to that, you are devoid of emotional okay, if responses you are to anything. a person, you know, whether or not you identify as male, female, non-binary, but you have a vagina, it's like you – and, like, unless you're a person that's just never seen one or had intercourse with somebody that has a vagina, like, you know how this works. Like, what happens when you actually try to physically – Get something up there. Sorry to be so like, but this is fucked up. Like this is unbelievably fucked up. As somebody who identifies as a woman, but also happens to have a vagina, like the actual like, I went green. You saw me when I when you started talking about this. Like that just makes your entire body just go like, no, no, no. I think, you know, there's that super visceral reaction to kind of the violence of it as well. But I think everybody with a functioning, like, soul can feel empathy for somebody who was, like, Like, somebody who had some so violent and degrading happen to them, left alone to die on a beach. Like, that is the most Bleeding out on a fucking mattress like an animal. Like, that is cooked. And if you don't – if you think that someone literally – okay – Let's not even get into, like, the whole thing of, like, how the vagina works. But, like, that much blood? Unless someone is legitimately having a miscarriage, like, periods aren't even that heavy. Like, when you have sex with somebody on their period, like... Yeah, that is one thing that I didn't actually mention because I didn't want to. Um, But when he was first interviewed, uh, I can't remember if it was the first interview or the one five weeks later, Paul was like, oh, yeah, when he was like, oh, so why was there blood on the mattress? He was like, oh, I thought it was maybe just her period or something. Oh, whatever. No. And, like, 
like, let's not even get started about what some men are like when you have sex on your period. Like, I'm not even going to get into that because that's just men are so no, not all men, but some men that I've interacted with when it comes to the menstrual cycle are fucked up. But, you know, as it was Greg Whedon on the Four Corners episode, I didn't copy this quote down, so I'm just saying it from my mind. But he was like, there is something, you know, he, he was like, oh, he thought it was a period or something. There's a big difference between having a period and bleeding to death. Like, you know, it's not like, could you, like, if we were literally expelling that much blood, we would not be standing. We'd be like within like an IV to our veins constantly yeah. for seven days or however long the, per- like the person with a vagina bleeds for. Like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh my God. This has made me irate. Like, I'm it, so angry. Up until literally yesterday, I was like, I don't think that I should. I don't, I'm still not sure whether or not we should even talk about this case. No, no, I'm so glad we did. This is I'm glad we did and I'm glad that I heard about it. I do vaguely remember reading about it um, in 2017. I know I definitely heard about it because I know it happened in like the town that I used to live in. Um, Where was I? Was just, I just living under a rock? Like, I don't. This is when I was a kid. No, no, the case. Oh, the case. I was like, what? No, no, 2011. Like what? We were. We were. 18. Yeah, 18 or something. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I I think the key thing is just what everybody said in the Four Corners episode and the family members and everything, like, this happened the way it happened because Lynette was Aboriginal. You cannot deny that. No. These two white guys, um, murdering and With that level of brutality inflicted on a white woman by men of colour, like, this would be the... Oh, my God. This would be John Benet fucking Ramsey, Like, this would be the leading story and, like, they, like, people would be out for blood. Yeah, And there's so many instances about that and not even just about people of colour, but, um, you know, uh, people that identify on the LGBTQ, um, like, spectrum, if something like that, or people with disabilities or mm-hmm. people of a certain age or stuff like that, or, you know, it's it's just why do we oh, – why does – uh, the colour of your skin determined like how much justice you get like it doesn't I, I can't fathom it and I don't no. I don't want to fathom it like no no so the the appeal is still ongoing what um, well yeah it happened it's October 2020 year. okay yeah no, no. sorry it feels ago. like 2027 right now I know right I've um, moved on like <laughs> I've moved on I've moved on from 2020 personally um <laughs> Have it. (laughs) I mean, I personally can't imagine that he would or either of them would, like, get out based on that. If they'd gotten charged with murder, maybe they could have appealed this. But there was no way that even if they – they couldn't even be considered for manslaughter. There's no fucking way. Yeah. They can't. Like, I swear to God, if the DPP do this again – If anything bad happens to God, I will – Rock up to fucking Grafton Courthouse and shoot the bastards myself. Let's That's a not joke say for that. legal reasons, yeah. but <laughs> I was about to say, um, no, no. But as we said, not saying anything like the Court of Appeals is very like appeal. A yeah, part of sure, the judicial appeal, system but whatever. Is- also, just rot in a box. I don't care about you. Like the judicial system should treat white no men justice, who like kill the- Aboriginal women. Nah, I'm much sorry, we're so fucking busy for it. So that was that case. Sorry, I said fisting a thousand times. I don't think I've ever said that word out loud before. And I hope to never say it again. Not to kink shame, but also to kink shame a little bit. (laughs) I feel so grim. I feel feel like the... I I feel green. 
I feel like yeah. the color green. I feel like a sad green. Remember we used to check in with like what numbers we were for the day? Let's never do that again. No, but I'm I, a two. Can't, I can't I'm do a that two. now. Um, so, yes, thank you for listening. I'm going to link the Four Corners episode in the show notes. You can watch it I'm going to watch that tonight. If you were within Australia, um, all, most of the quotes that I used were from that. Because I can't, you can't get the uh, inquest documents or anything like that, which always annoys me. Mm. Um, but yeah, thanks. I wanted to shout out, um, obviously, like, we have merch. Um, we got a very cute update on Instagram the other day by one of our very, very loyal um, followers, Claire, who was wearing um, our ghost research. It's not exactly peer-reviewed. Oh, yeah. T- uh, t-shirt um yeah claire was wearing it and then she wore it to the gym she's so cool she like climbs mountains and oh my god i know she's the kind of woman i wish i was oh my god she's so rad and yeah so and she wears her our shirts to work out so you all should um wear that and also um the other day was the um 35 and a 35 year anniversary of the murder of anita cobby so um I've said this on the I said this on the Instagram story, but um, we um, have done fundraisers before previously for the Homicide Victim Supports Group, and especially after the episode listening today, I'm going to endeavour to look into um, some uh, support systems for um, victims of um, First Nations people who've been affected by homicide and um, sexual assault and everything like that. I feel like it's really important. Um, wow. Put your money where your mouth is a Exactly, bit. yeah. Um, that was – I'm really disturbed, but that was a really good episode, Ellen. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Oh, I feel sick. Well, we will see you – what date is it today? It's Saturday the 6th. Um, I think this is the – I think this is the last episode. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Because basically I start rehearsals in two weeks tomorrow. So I've got another week left at work. And then I have to pack up my entire life. And then I start rehearsals and then I hit the road. Um, So I had a quick chat to Ellen and Zane about a cute idea that I've got. I'm not going to announce anything just in case it doesn't happen, in case my life entirely blows up, which, you know, it might. Always a possibility. Christ, touch wood. Um, Wow. I know it's been short and brief, but it's been so nice to be back. Um, it has been really nice. I've been really happy that we've um, – I wish we had done more. Uh, I had done more personally with um, the uh, aim to represent more um, the well, – or to, to show more representation of the First Nation, the people of the First Nations people who have been affected by homicide in this country because, as you can see from today's upload, like, they're not served very well mm-hmm. at all. And um, – but it's been a real um, it's been a real learning curve to sort of um, listen to these stories and tell these stories as well. And it's um, yeah. So I guess we'll see you in a couple of months. Yeah, um, we're gonna try. We're we're trying to work out ways of doing stuff. We stuff, have no idea what's gonna things. work. Um, and we don't want to make promises that we can't keep. Well, let's just say loosely that we'll see you in June. Yeah, there'll be an episode in June. Um, it'll be something I don't know, and then there might be some things in the middle there for you. Um, but as always, it's been a pleasure. 
um, well, I'll be on the Instagram. I'll be going around the country taking lots of photos. If I see any murder-related things while I'm on the road, <laughs> be sure to, like, they'll be on the Instagram. That's for damn sure. Um, oh, my God, this is so weird because, like, this last time so we weird. just, like, noped and just said, see ya. Like, we're yeah. just not, but just I'm not, not doing, doing this big, for a bit. I'm not doing some big emotional, like, wow, this has been amazing. Like, we'll be back. It's fine. Let's not worry about it. But, yeah. Well, while we're away, we'll have celebrated our three-year anniversary of doing Mitlu, whereas, like, this was meant to be a commitment of six episodes and uh, we'll just see how it goes. But three years later, here we are in the TNC I'm in the TNC podcast studios. There's no cats, which is probably why you're all like, "What? Why is Jess so weird today? Why is Jess paying so much attention?" <laughs> <laughs> well, we will see you soon. We'll see you on social media. You can always message us. You can always email us at murderandlandavos at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. Leave us a review. Follow us on Patreon. Buy the merch or not. Whatever you want to do. This is so weird. Okay, bye. 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 Bye for now. Welcome to an advertisement for the Penny Peep Show. What is the Penny Peep Show? Well, in our podcast factory, our podcast scientists have been working hard on a range of light-hearted radio play anthology series that everyone can enjoy. Caramony Cricket spokesperson, is there a light-hearted radio play anthology series for me? No, every series is marked explicit. But why not tell your parents, nameless child? They'll find the Penny Peep Show wherever good podcasts are stocked. The Penny Peep Show. It's like dissolving your ears in a cocaine-laden off-brand soda. Is that a good thing? Shut up, nameless child. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you.